Sean Connery, and you're listening to Sudge Buds Presents Pints and Pixar. Now, on today's program, the Buds chat about my second favorite superhero film of all time. No, today's film is not League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but that is a good one. Today's film, uh, well, you could say it's it's incredible, nonetheless. What is up, everybody? You are listening to Suds Buds Presents Pints and Pixar. The show where we chat about the films of our childhood over an adult beverage. And as always, I'm your host, Eric Anderson. And with me in studio, Mr. Nate Uppadel. Woo! What's going on, dude? Oh, nothing, nothing much. Just uh, sweating my butt off in the studio here. It's a hot one here. It's not, it's not great. Dude, how cool is that? What a great way to open the show. Exactly. I mean, it's it's so cool that we got the Ghost of Sean O'Connery's uh, number uh, from that shaman. Um, they hooked us up. We were debating on doing a 007 podcast, and uh, so we, you know, got in contact. And but we've still been hanging out ever since. Yeah, um, yeah. He, he haunts some local joints with us, so that's that's a cool spot. He's our favorite dead drinking buddy. Exactly. But uh, yeah, man, that's that's a big deal. I'm glad to see that he's, uh, you know, even though we didn't end up doing the 007 show, he's still down to work with us, down to collab, down to party. I mean, that's just him. That's just classic him. Drinking nope. his misty mountains. <laughs> God, sorry, I can't do a good Sean Connery. Yeah, well, it was fine. It was fine. It kind of sounded like when you do an impression of Pro Strats. Yeah, or one of our bartenders. Fortunately, me and Sean Connery were tight enough that he doesn't care if I, you know, he sees it as a, a form of flattery, <laughs> a form of Connery. Damn it. I'm not proud of that, but holy shit, half foam. Okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, how we doing today, buddy? Good, good, man. It's, uh, yeah, we're recording a little early. Kind of been on a roll of uh, early recording sessions, but uh, kind of an uneventful week for me compared to uh, week prior, but, uh, you know, it's all right. It's all right. Bad. Sometimes just, uh, you know, having, having a predictable week isn't always a bad thing. That's true. I kind of kind of miss that. Um I've got uh, a wedding this this weekend coming up. Um, gonna be down in Texas. God which, bless Texas. Which I'd be like more not bummed about, but more uh, worried about with the heat. But like it seems like we're already in it, so it doesn't really matter. It's just trading this heat for that heat. I swear, like at this point, I Actually, I'm kind of curious. I'm the first rainfall we get, like, or the next rainfall we get. Uh, 
I'm gonna be dancing in that shit like barefoot. I'm I'm so ready for it. I'm ready for this humidity to break. It's been brutal. I've been melting. I'm melting. But I'm sure I'm not the only one, so I'm not gonna complain about it. But uh, well, you should con- con- continue to complain. <laughs> um, that's what the listeners want. But you know, <laughs> I will say on a good note, it's uh it's pretty prime beer drinking weather. That's true. And I wouldn't really say it's it's spring anymore. I think we're kind of uh. In that first act of, of summer, but uh, we are drinking a spring staple beer nonetheless. Uh, so today, Nate was nice enough to get us a Maybach. So what do you say we uh, crack open this conversation? Hell yeah! Uh, this one comes to us from Boom Island, a uh, brewing company. They used to be in Minneapolis, now I believe they're in Minnetonka. And uh, yeah, cheers, man. Yeah. I was telling you to fill up my glass now that the half foam pour you gave me was uh, is subsided. But, you know, I got to stop letting you pour the beer or I got to teach you how to pour beer. I'm not really it sure. It looks fine. One. Your yeah. beer looks fine. Uh, it looks fine now. But, uh, yeah, so Boom Island out of Tonka now. Um, and, yeah, this is their Ice Out Maybach. Ice Out, we figured, was fitting since it's, you know, I mean, the coolest character in this movie, hands yep. down. Samuel L. Jackson. Frozone. Yeah. <laughs> Every scene with him. Yep. He just steals it, man. Yep. He's uh that that whole like one of the final ones where he's like, Woman, where is my super suit? I fucking <laughs> love that scene. It's so dumb. And like oh, he says something like The city is in danger and she's like <laughs> Our date Yeah, it was our, our date night is in danger if you don't get your butt down. I it was so good. I was just you never see his wife, but I love her just from that one scene where she's going back and forth with him and she's like, get your butt down. Like, I don't know. It was, uh, it was amazing. Yeah. Big fan. But let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Uh, what do you say? We, we dive into a little plot here. Yeah. Yeah. Let's All do right. it. All right. Um, so movie opens up, uh, in a, not a flash, would you call it a flashback? <laughs> it's not really that. It's just kind of context history. Just like a story setup, kind yeah. of a bunch of quick clips. Yeah, I I think maybe start with the title screen. The title screen is is really unique, where it's like an old um, kind of like television broadcast, almost oh, like a news yeah, broadcast, yeah. um, in black and white, and they use kind of that TV flashing up these imagery to kind of like Disney Pixar presents. I thought it was definitely the most. Um, unique form of like intro title and graphics and or not not graphics um uh, cast like credits that we've seen um yeah it was just it was unique it was they set this movie up as a timepiece right from the get-go which is a little different than pixar we kind of talked about numerous times how pixar makes uh movies that are timeless Mm -hmm. you know but this one clearly was trying to set in a specific time, which was cool. And I don't think they ever said the date, but just based on like kind of what I felt they were paying homage to, I would guess we kind of open up around 1955-ish. It's very much post-World War II, kind of the classic, um, you know, Americana, white picket fence lifestyle Mm -hmm. um and then i think when we finally get our first flash forward they say 15 years later and at this point i think it's pretty clear it's like 60s into 70s yeah like all of the aesthetics are still that way 
Um, the, I don't know. It was that, that time period. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of like that time period, like those kind of period pieces. Really? But when it's a cartoon, like it's fun. But like, I don't know, man. 60s, 70s were fine, but like just architecture wise, I, f- I fucking hate it. Um, 60s. You were like one of the only people I've ever heard say that. Like, 60s is everything boxy and just kind of like uniform. 70s, they tried to get like weird with it, but they did it cheap. Like, there's actually a bar in my hometown um, that they were. I think they opened up in like the 40s 40s or 50s um they had this really cool huge wooden bar like they've got pictures of it hanging up in their building and then they re- renovated it in the 70s they put this big ass circle window in like just kind of tore up all the cool woodwork and yeah it was just it just looks stupid and then like it's slowly been a crawl back to like and now it's you know, a standard, like, small-town bar. Still a fun place. has really good food. But, man, that, like, seeing the pictures of this old one bar, and you can see um, where, like, some of the posts would have been or the supports would have been for the old bar. And, yeah, so I'm, I'm a little bitter with the 70s, like, tearing up a lot of these old, cool buildings and putting in weird, like, doing shit to be weird for the sake of being weird. I get what you're saying, but I think that was even, I don't know, maybe, I guess I disagree a little bit. I think, when I think of 50s and 60s style and architecture and and automotives and clothing and things like that, I think a lot of, um, it's rooted in, in kind of this art deco look, this retro futurism, as they call it, where it's Mm -hmm. like a throwback to the past, but also it's your, your present day interpretation of what's going to be modern in the coming years so i think with the 60s and even the 50s you got a lot of bright colors you got a lot of pastels you got a lot of streamlined rounded weird shaped items and i think i disagree in the sense where i think things got a lot more boxy in the 70s and into the 80s Uh, especially in the form of like tech automotive um you know computers things of that nature i mean if you look at like I think 80s is probably one of the most unattractive car periods. And I think that came... 80s and 90s are trash. And even the end of the 70s. Like, people always think of 70s being the muscle cars. No, people owned cool muscle cars in the 70s, but they were usually, like, 60s models. You know, they were picking up these Chevelles and Cudas and things like that. They were kind of, you know, really long and streamlined and sexy. And by the time 75-ish rolled around... um, got a lot of hatchbacks and uh even like 70s the wood panel side is that 70s a lot of wood yeah, paneling in the 70s stupid looking everything got square headlights and big square grills and very hard sharp edges on the front so i know we're, we're kind of rambling about architecture here but this is our new architecture podcast um I, I get where you're coming from but i think if i had to choose like my favorite eras of just like look and presentation um well but like art deco was like that's mostly reserved for like city buildings yes like you're not i'm talking more like because this movie i mean there is a big city part of it but like you know a lot of it takes place in the suburbs 
But like, I love the interior of the Pars household. Oh, I hate that interior. I loved the colors. Like everything I looks loved... uncomfortable and sh- like just uncomfortable and unnecessary. Like there's no function, and also it's kind of ugly. Again, it's being it's weird for the sake of weird, and I I'm not into that. Like you can be weird as long as it's like cool, but it's not. I don't know, like circle chairs. Come on, man. I get no one's you... ever been comfortable in a circle chair unless it's one of those like, what do they call those like where you it's like a stand and like a an uh um a papa son I think maybe like I, I do love like you turn that like on the on the base like it's just a bowl then yeah and then you just curl up in that like a damn cat it's it's a delight I know Sleeping what you're talking about but I don't know what the official name for it is yeah but like, I don't uh, know I I love. Maybe this is a more uh, polarizing thing than I thought it was, but I love, I love that '60s look. I think, as a kid, I watched a lot of Get Smart, the old Mel Brooks series, and the interiors of all those locations reminded me a lot of the Parr household. So, okay, stand by it. Agree to disagree. I'm finding out a lot about you here, <laughs> which is why we do this podcast yep. so I can grill Nate and get to know him. <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so we start with, like, the the flashback TV kind of special. It's almost like um, going through kind of the history of the superheroes. It is cool because it's all in black and white unless it's, like, a live-action shot. Um, but superheroes, like, there's plenty of them. They're kind of, yeah, doing their thing. And then there's a scene where Mr. Incredible jumps through a skyscraper or, like, from one skyscraper to another to save a guy who was falling. And that kind of starts the downfall. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd love a lawyer to chime in on this. He saves a guy, and that guy sues him because he wanted to die. Which is pretty dark, like a weirdly dark theme here. Um, I love the line when they're in the courtroom, and it's like the old footage, and he's like, I saved your life, and he's like sh- like jumping across the courtroom, and he's <laughs> like, you didn't save my life, you ruined my neck. <laughs> I was just like, oh my god. Yeah, the defend- what if the defendant did not want to live? I was like, what is going on say, right that now? That <laughs> literally is never played once. Yeah. But uh, stops a train that causes a bunch of injuries on the train. And like, it, I was watching this, that scene with Samantha and I'm like, would they have been happier with the alternative? There was a giant crater in the tracks. Yep. This guy stopped a train that was about to derail itself. Yeah. He maybe put 50 people in the hospital. Is that, you know, isn't that a better alternative than just the death of 500? Like, come on. Well, and like they keep going through that, like even in the even in like the Marvel movies, yeah, like that was a big thing. It was like, look at all this damage you caused. I'm like, motherfucker, like they they saved a whole bunch of people. Like, yeah, like there was a bunch of damage, but it's not like they were being reckless about it. They were doing the things they had to do, like to save a bunch of people. I don't know. It was just this weird, like kind of forest through the trees. Where it's like. Yeah, okay, a bunch of shit got broken, but whatever. I will say one thing, like, even though this is a a more modern film, but it's kind of a throwback to old times, this movie came out in 2004, and maybe it was so close to the the big tragedy that 9-11 was, but I feel like the event of 9-11 kind of shaped the way that we view superhero movies in a lot of ways. We're like... 
I don't think it was really ever like touched on a lot in the comics about, you know, the damage you caused or the threat to public safety that superheroes could be. But it seems like that's something that, like you mentioned, even the Avengers do it. Like that's now something where we're recognizing and realizing, oh yeah, these giant fights that take place <laughs> in this metropolis area, like people are dying that every time got... Superman knocks down a building, you know? Yep. And I think this movie had, without being super overt, I mean, I think it was, there were some things that were like subtly patriotic about it. I mean, just for this coming out like three years after 9-11, they mm-hmm. were dealing a lot with the idea of, you know, government distrust, people being displaced, put into witness protection, you know, the the threat of, you know, uh, domestic or international terrorism. You know, there were a lot of scenes where we've got planes flying around buildings and people flying through skyscrapers. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but it did seem like there was a lot of media that came out post 9-11 that kind of fit in this same vein where it's like, oh, we're going to all unite after this terrible tragedy and come together against the bad guys, you know? Mm-hmm. Even to the point where you see, you know, military getting called in and these giant tanks taking on these mech robots in a city that looks like a cross between new york and chicago i couldn't help i but do think, like, i do love like the like in these superhero movies or like cartoons especially where they're just like what's the most generic city we can make like they're not gonna name anything just here's a generic one um no what, what's the name of this one metroville so you gotta metroville. play on metropolis and smallville i mean just yeah I, I i don't know why that gimmick's just funny to me but like here's a big city and we're just gonna make it kind of generic and so metroville yeah like, yeah i mean it worked it was yeah i i think the city was it was fitting a fitting setting for this type of story but as we'll get into a lot of it takes place on a, a very bond-esque uh private island so why don't you take us back All to right. the, uh, the plot right. summary? I've derailed this enough. <laughs> I was gonna say we're we're off we're off kilter a little bit here. Um, where was I? Oh yeah, so superheroes start getting basically um, they get sued a lot, uh, and the government kind of steps in like, "All right, y'all, you're not gonna be superheroes anymore. You guys can like, but you did a lot for us, so like, we'll kind of work you into a witness protection program." Um, but, like, you have to stop being superheroes. Um, and then it kind of cuts to um, Mr. Incredible and um, Elastigirl getting married. And then it flashes forward 15 years later. Um, All these events we just mentioned before, the the train and the guy jumping to his death and all that are trying to... this We find out this is all the night of their wedding wedding. yeah he keeps saying you know i've got time i've got time i've got time and taking these calls off the dispatch and then we find out oh yeah he keeps saying he's got time and you know this isn't a dance recital or something it's his wedding night yep which is kind of cool he walks in so last minute that he you know the mask you know yeah well and it's kind of funny too because like it kind of shows like is he even like he's almost doing it for his ego at that point but well, I mean, every they all are. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so kind of flashes forward 15 years um, to a suburban house um, where Mr. Incredible and Elastigirl are married. And um, 
got a couple kids, um, Dash and Violet, and then Baby Jacks. Jack, and, Jack. yeah, Jack, Jack, and uh, they, yeah, kind of dealing with like the kids all got superpowers, so they're kind of dealing with that. Um, we go forward a little bit, and Mister Incredible has a job in an insurance company, which, yeah, yeah, and he kind of looks like a shell of his former self. He's yep. you know. He's adapted to this, you know, desk life, which may not be the best for him. And, you know, his posture's not looking great. His hairline's not as good as it once was. He's strapped on a few LBs. Doesn't exactly look like his, uh, you know, super exuberant, confident self that we were no. introduced to in the, the very beginning. Yeah, they, they really did a number on him. Yeah. Um, turns out suburban life's not great for some people. <laughs> joke for the adults there for sure i mean just like there's a lot of that throughout this movie where you watch it and it's like i think this movie is a adult movie packaged in the form of a kid's film and i mean that in the most wonderful of ways yeah i remember as a kid loving this movie this movie came out when i was like 11 watching it back now you know i realized why my dad liked watching this so much with me as a kid you know he grew up in the 60s, that comic book era, that post-World War II, you know, and I think it it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but they, yeah, so Suburban Life um, kind of cuts to the scene where uh, one of their family friends, um, what was, what's Frozone's, like, normal name? Um, Lucius. Lucius. Uh, Lucius swings over saying it's bowling night. Um and so him and Mr. Incredible go out, and they're kind of moonlighting as uh, vigilantes, superheroes, whatever. Just listen to a, um, yeah, listen to a crime or a dispatch, and picking up crimes where they can, helping out where they can. Um, but more so to relive the glory days, which is kind of a big part. Yeah. Um, they almost get caught. Then. Um, Mr. Or then it kind of flashes back. They're home. Mr. Incredible's back at his day job and gets called into a meeting with his boss because he's been trying to help these people like navigate the complicated insurance industry. So good on him. Yep. And actually got a lot of fun insurance stories if we got time. Not <laughs> fun not, insurance stories. Not Nate. for me, but like how big of a fucking sham insurance companies are like it is absolutely criminal how stupid it is um but then they kind of roll through and uh mr incredible essentially watches a guy get mugged outside this window while he's in this meeting with his boss yep and his boss won't let him go help and ends up kind of beating up his boss a little bit um a little bit does, does he throw him through the window? No. What does he, he do? He throws him through like 10 cubicles. That's he right. He bounces off of like a marble wall and hits the ground and makes a noise like a, a squeaky toy. Who uh, who voiced that? You know who voiced? Yes. Like it was a super was, familiar um, voice. Oh, famous uh, voice actor and comedian. I know that does a lot. Um, <laughs> Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn. Also um, the voice of Rex. From ah, the, yes. the Toy Stories, but yeah. But, um, so yeah, throws his boss through, 
which kind of uh, exposes his identity as a superhero. And am I the only one that had like an almost jump out of my couch moment there where I was like, yes. Like yeah. it what? just feels like such a win for, for Bob Parr, Mr. Incredible. Yeah. Well, because like he just, I mean, it was so funny too, because Mr. Incredible is this huge guy with super strength and his boss is just like the smallest, weaseliest kind of guy. Really is. Yep. And so like watching him get beat down verbally and then finally just fighting back a little bit. Yep. Well, I think his boss even makes a comment about, uh, let's just hope he's not one of our clients, Bob. You know, like as he's witnessing this guy get mugged or let's hope that he is. He makes a comment about getting business out of this guy that just yep. got his ass kicked outside. Like literally in view of his office window. Yeah. And that does speak to insurance companies. Yes. Uh, fuck insurance companies. I will stand by that. <laughs> um, but anyway, they, uh, yeah. So kind of violates or exposes him as a superhero. Uh, we flash to uh, basically a government agency that's like been helping the superheroes kind of relocate. Run by uh, Rick Dicker, or at least Rick Dicker is uh, uh, that's Bob Parr's agent. He's kind of the one that, uh, you know, we find out that uh, this is kind of the last straw. This yep. maybe hasn't been the first bad thing that uh, Bob has done in the workplace, or maybe not the first time he's kind of shown his his superpowers while he's supposed to be in hiding. And they yep. kind of, uh, you know, they give him almost like this uh, off-the-record kind of relocation assignment, and he kind of is trying to keep this hidden from his whole family. Yep. Um, but then it kind of levels out where he's in his like office, mm-hmm. his home office, and... Oh, like a tablet falls out of one of his bags, which it's like right now a tablet's not that weird. But like in I mean, at that time when the movie came out and in the 1960s, like a tablet's pretty high tech. Yeah. I mean, when the movie came out, I don't think there was really any big like touchscreen technology that was readily available. I mean, it was basically like the iPod classic was pretty much cutting edge, you know? Yep. So this was like kind of a cool futuristic thing. Um, and they did a pretty good job of making it. I mean, it yeah. still, it looks like a modern day tablet. Like, uh, it kind of like scanned his face and then the thing popped up, scanned the whole room. Face ID. Sure it, yeah. Yep. I was going to think about that. We got the face ID shown. We've got the auto driving car at the very beginning. Yep. This, these are all very much foreign ideas at the time that are now like, eh, you you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people have iPads. Some people have Teslas. It's like crazy. Exactly. Really not that far off of what current is, but and they did a good job of predicting it. Yep. Uh, but uh, basically, Bob gets recruited to come to this island and kind of help this help this company take down a robot that they built that is gone AWOL. Yes, and his uh, main contact is a woman named Mirage. Yep, who's kind of a, a sleek, sexy spy. Kind of hated that Mirage didn't have any superpowers. If I'm gonna be honest, like a name like Mirage, like you gotta have superpowers. You don't get to have that name without superpowers. That's them's the rules. I don't make the rules, but if your name's Mirage, superpowers. Nate's just been t- playing way too much uh, Apex Legends. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I don't um, disagree. It would have been cool if she would have had yeah some sort of skill. But, um, but like, sorry, that yeah. sounds terrible. <laughs> would have been cool if she would have had some sort of uh, you know possessed some sort of superhuman abilities. But some superpowers. 
but uh, yeah, he kind of he helps him take down this robot. Um, goes home, gets paid a lot of money, and he just kind of keeps getting paid a lot of money. And he gets a little more motivated, um, starts working out a lot, just bettering himself, better family life. Kind of like back in his swing of things, the things he wants to be doing. I love is, that montage so much. Yep. like I, The train yard workouts, I love those scenes. It's amazing, yeah. Sunset, he's like, you see him, and they just the way they, they frame the shots where he's like pulling these chains. Like, it looks like it could be an ordinary piece of workout equipment, but, and then they cut to the wide, and he's like lifting a caboose with each arm. Yep. Uh, yeah, great. Yeah. Um, and then he uh, gets called in for another assignment, um, mm-hmm. a different giant robot. Or no, I don't think they mentioned that it was a robot yet. Um, we find out later that there's multiple versions of this robot. It's kind of a... It's a work in progress. Yeah, it's a test thing. It's like you beat type one, we send version two at you, you beat version three. You know. Spoilers, Eric. We're, we're pretty close to there. Okay. Okay. Um, so anyway, he goes to uh, an old friend of his, Edna, who has designed all the super suits. And there's like that funny scene where he mentions that he wants a cape. And she goes on this fucking tangent about like all these superheroes that have died because they had capes. And they because they had to have a cape. Um, Another very funny but very dark montage. There's a lot of people that straight up died in this movie. Yeah. Like, or are trying to die in this movie. Well, yeah, the guy trying to die, but like... The henchmen that like it, like crash into a wall and explode, like those guys aren't making it out. No. Um, all the super, yeah, that whole montage of superheroes that died, um, even at the end, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Spoilers. I that's why I didn't say it. Okay. Anyway, um, they run th- or she gets him a new suit. He goes back to the island and um, it, it kind of seems like he's. As he's leaving for the island, he's kind of like dried out, um, or not dried out, but disinterested, mm-hmm. um, and which kind of leads his wife to think that he's having an affair. Also, she finds the gray hair on his super uh. suit. She, well, she goes in, yeah, she finds the gray hair, which is, you know, fair enough. He's been kind of absent, and then on top of that, she sees that his super suit has been stitched. Mm-hmm. So as Bob is kind of on his, you know, like you said, he's a little strung out, a little distant, and he's on his new assignment. She thinks he's at a work conference, and now she's starting to put all these clues together. And when she finally sees, you know, that he's had his 15-year-old suit restitched, she then uh, she goes and visits Edna. Yeah. Um, get a little help from Edna. I love Edna. <laughs> One of my favorite characters, like simultaneously so annoying but also so complex and so cool, like, I, I don't know. Just has, like, a very kind of eccentric, kind of Warhol-esque vibe to yeah. her. And... She's even got, like, the hair, like, the, like, almost a bowl cut, but, like, down to the shoulder length. Um, smoking cigarettes out of, like, her long thing, or the, the cigarette holder. One of those people you meet where it's, like, they're few and far between, but you ever meet someone who, like... They act a certain way. They've got a style that fits that. And then you go to their house and their house is the same style that they wear. And it's like, yep. even if it's not your style, there's something super endearing about a person who like commits themselves to a look so honestly, so unapologetically. And I mean, like her house looks like her. Yep. She's like this weird foreign fashion designer, but you can't quite put a finger on where she's from. 
and then you see the 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 they've got one uh shot where she's got these giant glass windows and you see the view outside of her apartment and you're like where are you <laughs> like it's like she's look, in metroville my dude it doesn't look like it it looks no. like she's in like rainy france or something like that like it's yeah um some well, dreary actually, european place it's funny too because there's that always sunny like episode where frank becomes an art collector yes and he looks exactly like her totally like all blacked out gray white hair down to the shoulders and like the bowl cut like it's a very specific style that they went for which was a lot of fun kind of like a lot like the last of the beatniks almost <laughs> You know what I mean? Sure. She's she's still trapped in the 50s and is yep. just like unapologetically living out that style yep. to its fullest. Well, she's made so much money. Like she can you know do whatever she wants. Anyways, very uh, cool. My Probably my favorite character in the movie. Yeah. That's um, uh, actually... She's a great character. Um, but yeah, so Miss Incredible is there. And all of a sudden, she kind of gets a little more detail. Like... Uh, Edna's make made the whole family super suits. Um, and she's like freaking out. She's like, why would you make these? Whatever. And then she's like, well, your husband had me make remake his. Like, I figured. And then um, kind of goes into, like, he's on a work trip. And she's like, is he? And then kind of or brings up a, a tracking device. Um, I got to ask real quick. How did you feel about the new look of the new super suits? I like, well... Honestly, I kind of like their individual suits. Like, the whole family unit suit thing was weird to me. Because they were all the same looking. Yeah. just Yeah. Like, it kind of... Which I guess was kind of the point. Because, like, it was Mr. Incredible, Elastigirl. Like, they both had very different suits. And then they had these kids. So, kind of, like, bringing them from individuals doing their own thing to a family unit. Fine. I see why they did it, and I think red's a power color, but I will say, like, I really liked Mr. Incredible's original super that suit. That blue? The blue was super clean. Yep. Also, I mean, he just kind of had, like, that giant, like, Superman vibe, even the little curled hair, like, yep. Superman meets Captain America, basically. Um, and, like, I thought about it, I'm like, man, I wish they would have stuck with the blue suits. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of Elastigirl's original costume, mainly because her logo looked like the Packers logo. Um... <laughs> But aside from that, I realized last night why it wouldn't have worked if they would have given them the blue suits. And I think, and this is just me guessing, would have looked so much like the Fantastic Four. That's probably a big part of it. But I think it's more to do with, like, the, they were two different superheroes. Like, if they gave them all blue, it would kind of play in your head, like, Oh, they're all like on his team. It's not Mr. Like Incredible a... and his friends. Exactly. His yeah. Not like a new unit together. Yeah. I get it. I think yeah. it looked really good on everyone, just to, except for Mr. Incredible, just after seeing his original costume. Just yeah. wanted to sneak that in there. I, I get that. We're talking a lot about style in this, exactly. uh, this episode. Yeah, we're very stylish people. Yeah. <laughs> no. Says Nate I, in one of his uh, 100 black t-shirts. I own many black t-shirts, and actually I ordered three more of them. Jeez. It's one style. Uh, it's an Eddie Bauer V-neck, V-neck cut, all or jet black. They hold up really well. Um, they're slimming. Well. You get the V-necks, you can show off a little bit of chest salad. Well, you know I'm all about that. <laughs> You're all about that chest salad? That's what I'm all about. <laughs> I they, you know, got to eat your greens. You it's, know what I'm saying? It frames his very thin gold chain that he wears <laughs> very well. Um, just micro. Like, 
Unless you're up close, you couldn't see the gold chain. Yeah. It's more like a gold leaf chain. Yeah. Yeah. The V-neck leaves the, the neck tat fully exposed. I, got, I mean, which which neck tat? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You got to look, man. You're like Andrew WK, but like his like evil brother. Oh, I'll take that. For sure take that. <laughs> Dude wrote two hit songs. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I was about to go one, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's a second one. I just can't think of it. Yeah, you got Party Hard and... Uh... Yeah, and you we like to hard. party. I don't. I don't remember. <laughs> um, oh, would you like a refill? Sir? Oh yes, please. Uh, but anyway, so they nailed it on that second pour. Again, a hundred percent foam. It's pretty impressive. Um, I, meant, I meant I nailed it on my second pour. Ah. Uh, so Miss Incredible kind of charters a jet to go save her husband, and. Uh, the kids stow away on this jet going to this secret island. Um, we also find out, yeah, Mrs. Incredible's a pilot. Like, yep. you see a photo on her dresser, she makes a call, and it's like, oh, it's, you know, classic action movie thing. Every action hero knows a good pilot. It's like, no, she, she is knows a guy with a plane. She is the pilot. Yep. <laughs> yep. Big fan. Very cool. Um, yeah, so she gets on, and then the, the, she finds out the kids stowed away. Um, left the baby with a babysitter, which comes up later, and they go to this island. Um, they're almost to the island. Mister Incredible has been caught. Oh, I guess I kind of skipped over that. Um, he fakes his yeah. death just before this. Well, I, he gets betrayed on the island. Um, kind of finds out the whole plot is a ex fan of his that didn't have superpowers but kind of became um an inventor and invented things to become a superhero yes um, buddy formerly buddy. known as Incrediboy, who we were introduced to in that very first sequence where yep it's mr incredible's wedding night he's going around the city trying to do all these small jobs or big jobs and buddy keeps getting in the way yep um yeah. um but now his he goes by the name syndrome yes um you know, I, I kind of like Syndrome's outfit. Like, it was a little iffy, but it was fine. Yeah, me too. Uh, if he wouldn't have been so inept, I think he would have been really cool. For a guy that was really smart, that guy is stupid as hell. Yeah. Um, and that was, like, a thing that just kept coming through in the movie. Um, but anyway, Syndrome ends up capturing Mr. Incredible, and Miss Incredible comes through trying to save him. So they're flying to this island, and... The island defense system activates and missiles are shot at this plane. Yes. Um, so at this point, you know, she's trying to call out, trying to get them to, you know, shut down the missiles. Eventually says that there are children on board and then the plane blows up. Yes. Um, super dark. Super dark. They did a really good job of intercutting the scenes with Mr. Incredible in captivity while showing the plane scenes mm -hmm. because we get a nice kind of change of heart for mirage there when we, she, when we hear over the radio that there's kids on board that's the first time she shows some emotion you know some sympathy for, towards them um and also uh yeah mr incredible doesn't even know that they're coming for him at this time and uh buddy syndrome thinks that mr incredible has tried um, communicating through some sort of phone from the island. So it's kind of like you got a miscommunication on all ends, and, yeah, we're we're left to believe that, you know, there's a chance 
his family might die. Yep. Um, and yeah, so the plane blows up, but then it kind of immediately cuts to the family, like kind of like landing in the water and getting to shore. Yes. So like we know, and again, probably because it's a kids' movie, we know instantly that these that his whole family is not dead. Right. He does not know that. Right. So this man is broken and angry. And in captivity. Yep, and in captivity. Um, so the family kind of washes up on shore, or they use their powers together. Miss Incredible turns herself into a boat. Yep. And, uh, or, yeah, and then uses her son, who has super speed. As the motor. To, as the motor, yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Um, and then, where are we at? Where are we at? Um, Mr. There's a scene that's small, but it's kind of important. Um, Mirage kind of gets close to Mr. Incredible in his like chain or electric chain thing, and he grabs her. Um, and he has superpowers; he could for sure kill her. Mm-hmm. And Syndrome kind of plays it down. He's like, "Go ahead, do it." And that was kind of the final straw where Mirage goes from working for Syndrome to working with the Incredibles. Yeah. And also almost kind of implied at times that maybe Mirage was like a love interest of Syndrome's. There are a couple times where they're very close. Mm-hmm. She's very cold and that's kind of her whole like selling point is she's emotionless and that's why she's good at her job. And, you know, he's got all this tech as kind of this billionaire with all these resources, but it's very dumb. Yep. And I think from... I don't know. There's just a couple of lines of dialogue where it, it's it seems like he thinks there's a lot more going on with their relationship, whereas for her it's kind of like this is strictly work type of thing. Yep. And then he shows in that moment that I don't care, killer. You know what I mean? Like classic bad guy move at that yep. moment. Like it was kind of again, it was like the final nail in the coffin for Mirage. Yep. Um, but then um, the family kind of works together. In some roundabout ways, to they find Mister Incredible, um, and get him free, and uh, then like the whole family's kind of running around the island trying to m- get back together, meet back up, and Mirage or not Mirage um, Syndrome ends up catching them after like this whole chase action sequence catches them and locks them all up. Um, st- then they get out super easy. Yeah, because... Violet uses her powers to somehow disconnect from these kind of shackles. Yeah, she's got like a, a force field power that just doesn't seem to have any limit. Yeah, until the very end where it gets like crushed. Oh, yeah. But I get what you're saying. Um, but she can, I mean, that force field stops a lot of things. She's arguably the most OP of the four. <laughs> Needs a nerf. Yes. Yep. Um, yeah, so they kind of get through the island. Um syndrome's whole plan the reason he was building these robots was to send one into metroville yes terrorize the city and then he's gonna come through and he's got like a little remote on his arm that he can deactivate the robot so he's gonna put on this whole show showing that he's a superhero and yeah that's kind of his whole play so he ships this rope or sends this robot to the city um he kind of shows up starts beating up the robot and then it hits a button and then one of the arms falls off yes he's faking the fight more or less 
Um, kind of like Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul. Don't even talk. I okay. <laughs> I'm mad too. Yep. Um, but anyway, the robot, because it's kind of like an active learning robot, figures out what happened and knocks the wrist switch off Syndrome's hand. He attacks his creator. Yep. Um, and I, so, I love it around the same time Syndrome's got a line. It might have been a little before this, but he says something to the effect of like, we're all powerless or we're all powerless when everybody has power. Yeah. Well, that was like his whole like mont or not montage, his whole dialogue where he's like talking about how he's going to be the superhero. And then when he's old and bored of being the superhero, he's going to sell all of his inventions because when everybody's super, no one is. Yep. Um, pretty dark. Again, pretty dark. there's a lot of dark things. A lot of people dying. A lot of weird, dark, nothing matters kind of things. But I uh, guess, yeah, to get us up to, to speed to where we are, this is basically, um, yeah, they've gone, they've gone back to Metroville. Yep. So He's yeah, wreaking the... havoc. And Bob Parr, Mr. Incredible, has kind of told his family the whole thing he uncovered about, you know, syndrome's been killing off all these old superheroes on his island he's dispatching these to, to our home we got to get there and again we see elastigirl try to power you know she has a line where she's like i can fly a plane i can't fly a rocket and they end up stealing a rocket with a plane attached to it with an rv attached to it and yep. the rocket shoots and detaches and then the plane is flying and elastigirl's stretched out hauling an rv on the plane and then ends up detaching from that dropping this rv that's got the tires fit is like spinning this rv is redlining it is not even on gr the ground it's soaring through the air it connects with the pavement and it just tears off and now our final battle has ensued yeah. we've got the incredible family speeding across town trying to catch uh the the bad guy and the robot and even in this super intense moment of peril, we've got all these classic like family vacation jokes. Of, oh like, my god, the the turning or like where they're arguing about how to get downtown, and they're like, no, take this exit. No, if I take that exit, it'll bring me cross town and blah blah. Like all this dumb, yeah, weird family vacation jokes just packed into these scenes. And even when like Bob Parr's scrunched behind the wheel of the uh, the RV and he's shouting back at his kids not to fight and then also shouting out the window like honey how you doing it's like i love this so much um yeah definitely another one of my favorite scenes in the film but yeah they hit pavement they end up getting in a crazy car accident somehow and flipping their rv a hundred times and it comes to a stop they get out and now we're basically there final battle yeah. the family versus syndrome and his giant robot that he can't control yeah that now has a mind of its own yep um so yeah they kind of roll through uh frozone makes an appearance he has this awesome scene where he sees the robot walk by his high-rise apartment and then that's the scene we were talking about before where he's arguing with his wife about where his super suit is she's like oh i sent it out to get cleaned and he's just freaking out um also frozone has a sweet place yes he does like cool like penthouse type thing yep. um and he ends up finding a super suit somehow and shows up on his surfboard yep yeah like a weird silver surfer slash like ice, ice man. man yeah um but yeah they get into this battle um mr incredible or they they end up finding 
syndromes wristwatch thing that he lost early in the movie or earlier in the fight. And they use that to kind of try to shut down the robot. Um, Mr. Incredible ends up tearing one of the claws off the robot and fires it back through, killing the robot, saving the city. Um, he has a nice little flashback. They kind of um, did a nice job of foreshadowing there where the only way he defeats the first version of the robot is by using the robot itself. Mm-hmm. And he kind of flashes back to that in the moment where they're definitely the most down. And he realizes, you know, he even says to himself, he's like, the only way to defeat the robot is for it to defeat itself, basically. Yep. And, yeah. Yeah. Figures out it's kryptonite. Exactly. Uh, ends up destroying the robot. Um, everybody's kind of celebrating. And then they listen to some voicemails from the babysitter that the kids had left the baby with. And it's just a bunch of panic voicemail over, over and over. And then a new one comes in saying sorry she overreacted thanks for sending the replacement babysitter and at this they, point they're in a limousine yep they're with um the with, dude i was talking about her dick rickle no <laughs> uh rick dickley rick dickler dickler maybe uh a very very like weird yeah. 60s 70s rick dicker yep. yeah they're with him again in his limo and it's kind of uh we find out that maybe superheroes are coming back yep he's happy with them you know, this moment kind of makes up for all of uh, Bob's previous uh, escapades. And, uh, yeah, we kind of, you know, we get yeah. the impression that maybe they do have a chance, you yep. know. Um, but anyway, they rush back to their house, find Syndrome with or holding the baby. Yes, um, he was the new babysitter. Yeah, he was the new babysitter. Another kinda, very dark moment. Yep. Uh, tries to kidnap the child. And then we find out the child has powers, starts basically morphing like a flame baby, a weird, a weight, yeah, solid metal, um, turns into like a goblin for a little bit. Um, And Syndrome ends up getting stuck, or his cape ends up getting caught in a turbine and gets sucked into the turbine and blows up his plane. Also so, great foreshadowing. So Syndrome's super dead. Yes. Yeah. Should have never had a cape. If he would have had his uh, costume made by Edna Mode, might have oh, survived. Exactly. Um, thank you to our sponsors, Edna Mode, and Cape, cape Less Plus. So um, bad. So bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, so then the family kind of reconciles a lot of differences they've had, small differences they've had throughout the movie. Um, they go, they end up letting Jax, or not Jax, um, what's the kid's name? Uh, um, Dash. Dash. End up letting Dash join track, and it was like this fun scene where they were like cheering for him, but then he got too far out in head, so they made him slow down, so he took second place. I love how the parents are looking at him like, go, go, go! <laughs> no, too fast! Second, second, second! Second's good! Second's good! Parents are just staring at him like, what? Yep. Um, Walks out with a silver medal. Yep super jazzed and then up from the ground comes a giant drill john ratzenberger john ratzenberger as the underminer yes um then it kind of cuts to a scene from the family they're all gearing up and that's the end yeah that's the scene man so good yeah so good fun movie um yeah i don't know i mean 
this is i don't know if this is fun facts so much but one last thing i wanted to say is like so this video game or this movie excuse me had an accompanying video game mm-hmm. that was actually pretty solid played it like on the gamecube as a kid one of my buddy's houses um but also it spawned a sequel video game okay incredibles 2 rise of the underminer okay and it's kind of funny because that game probably came out in like 2006 ish mm-hmm and we didn't get an incredible sequel until like 2018 where it had the underminer but also introduced new villains and yep like the underminer was like the opening scene basically right definitely like picked up basically directly where we left off but like 14 years later so just wanted to throw that out there this is kind of a interesting franchise if you want to call it that Mm -hmm. i mean definitely sets itself up for a sequel but it was many years in the making um Glad we finally got it. We'll talk about that one more next time. But uh, before we go to break, what do you say we review Boom Island Ice Out? It's a 6.6% ABV Mybox style. And really we got wish, a crawler of it, a very fresh one. A little bit. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, but this is, uh, man, I, I was I was digging this one. Um, nice and malty. Um Got like a little hot profile, a little bitterness. Um, I don't know, nothing, nothing super notable, but just a really well done in that style. No, I agree. I think it was. I agree. Multi, sweet, kind of bready. I haven't had a Maybach in a while. I usually go with uh, Summit's Maybach each year. That's usually a twelve pack that sneaks its way into my fridge, but. Uh, yeah, this is a good one. I've definitely been on a Bach kick lately. I had one from Revelation that was really good, a Doppelbach. Okay. Bought one at Pulpit um, a few weekends ago. That was their their uh, their BTO, which is their Bach. Um, Bachman Turner Overdrive. Yes. And in case people didn't get the reference. I'm going to listen to some BTO when I crack that. I'm, I'm still yet to crack Ooh, into that maybe one. Maybe we get a BTO song as I close it. Ooh taking care of business let it ride Ooh, okay okay well we we can talk we they got a lot of hits i'm, I'm glad nate likes bto oh, we're gonna yeah, spend yeah. some uh bto during the break <laughs> but uh yeah all that being said i would drink ice out again i will watch the incredibles again um i'm putting this at a 3.9 okay yeah very nice thank you nate Worth mentioning, Nate picked this one out. Yeah, so yeah. Again, uh, turns out finding beers with superhero themes is a little trickier than I thought it would be. Um, so ice out. I was like, oh, Frozone, ice out. Yeah, that'll work. It's kind of a walk, but it worked. It worked. Yeah. Um, for this one, for sure would drink again. Kind of wish I drank it faster. It was a little, um, got a little warm towards the end there. But um, I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. With Three seven on this one. Three seven. Yep. Nice style, nice malt, um, nice sweetness. Uh, just I don't know. Again, there was nothing really to write home about. Yeah. But I absolutely would drink it again. Well, there you go. You heard it here. Three seven and three nine for the ice out from Boom Island. That's their Mybox style. Uh, we're gonna take a quick little break, and we will be right back with some Incredibles fun facts. So stay tuned. Yes, things are going quite well, quite well, my God, no complaints. But, you know, it it is uh, not the same, not the same at all. 
Weren't you just in the news, some show in Prague, Prague? Milan, darling, Milan. Supermodels. Ha! I think super about them, spoiled, stupid little stick figures with poofy lips who think only about themselves. <laughs> I used to design for gods. Hmm, but perhaps you'll come with a challenge, eh? Have a surprise to get your call. E, I just need a pass job. Hmm, this is mega mesh, outmoded, but very sturdy, and you've torn right through it. What have you been doing, Robert? Moonlighting hero work? Uh, must have happened a long time ago. I see. This is a hobo suit, darling. Oh, you can't be seen in this. I won't allow it. What is up, everybody, and thanks for sticking with us through the break. We're back, as always, with the second act of Suds Buds Presents Pints and Pixar with some fun facts. Nate, are you ready? Oh, I'm I'm ready, buddy. Before I read this, this first everybody's fun... This is everybody's favorite section. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm flattered. I'm blushing. Oh, no, it's because I get to do the fun things and you, you just have to talk. Yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't have said it better. Um, before I read this first fun fact, what do you say we crack open the conversation? Hey, look at you with the callbacks. Uh, today we've got, for our second beer, a uh, super giant golden ale from Abel Seedhouse and Brewery. Uh, this has been one of their flagships for a long time. Again, it was... <laughs> finding superhero-themed beers was a little tricky. I almost picked up that smash again. The mic smash? Yeah. I was thinking about and that, then, too. And then, like, I was like, oh, that'll work. And I was like, oh, no, shit, we did that one, didn't we? It's a pricey um, one, too. Also that. But um, Super Giant, I don't know, Super Giant, I, th- I figured it would work. Yeah. Also, fun fact, off off the script fun fact, but uh, director of Incredibles Brad Bird is also known for directing the Iron Giant. So, Super oh, Giant, Iron okay. Giant. Okay. I thought you were going to tell me he works at Abel. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> damn. All right. Yep. Sure. All right. Well, why don't you get into them fun facts, boy? I can do that. So, fun fact number one. Did you know that Jason Lee was cast as Syndrome because of his work in the film Dogma? Uh, So, yeah, basically Brad Bird liked how the actor was animated and evil in Dogma and thought that he was the right guy for the role. So, Lee actually completed his work on The Incredibles, uh, which was his first animated feature film that he lent his voice to. And he recorded all... All of his dialogue over four voiceover sessions, each one lasting four to five hours over an eight-month span. Dogma, by the way, love that movie. It's a great one. It's uh, probably one of the Kevin Smith films that I've seen the least, or if not the least, it's definitely been like the longest time since I've watched it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Mallrats is one of those I watch probably every year. So Clerks 2, I love that one. Um, Clerks 2 in a minute. Chasing Amy might be my favorite. Well, I don't think it's his funniest film. I think it's... Uh, I don't even want to say the best story, because that story's a little fucked up now. It doesn't age the best. <laughs> no. Um, um, young Alan Rickman in that movie, though, like, that was just funny, and, like, he's in the whole movie. It's um, true. Yeah. So that was, that was a really fun one to, yeah, look back on. And I think another funny thing, this wasn't even something I found online, but when, uh, I wonder if it's an inside joke, because when Mr. Incredible first meets Buddy, mm-hmm. he's also voiced by Jason Lee, the young version of Syndrome, he's trying to figure out his name, and he's like, ah, oh, Brody, and when he says Brody, that's Jason Lee's character in 
mall rats. So Brody not being a super common name, got to imagine that was some sort of a little inside joke they slipped in I be- there. I believe it. That's kind of the, that's like the one thing, if, if you take away one thing from this whole podcast, is that Pixar loves weird small jokes. And Pixar loves Pixar, and they love yep. putting Pixar references in Pixar films. It's its weird little universe, as mm-hmm. I'm starting to realize more and more each week. Um, Yeah, but kind of cool. Jason Lee, fun to see him in an animated film. Uh, moving along, did you know Holly Hunter insisted on learning the real military flight language? So, uh, yeah, Hunter played Elastigirl, and uh, she knew her character's lingo and showcased her knowledge uh, when flying into Syndrome's hideout. Um, and much like Jason Lee, it was her first time voicing a character in an animated feature film. So kind of cool there. Uh, fun fact number three. Did you know that Brad Bird played Edna? Even though Lily Tomlin uh, was the number one choice. So yeah, Edna Mode was half German, half Japanese, according to Bird. And the inspiration was he thought about German engineering, Japanese car and camera manufacturing, and didn't want to try to intend to pattern the character accent off of anyone in particular, but rather just reference several people and cultures. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, So yeah, I said it earlier. I wasn't sure where she's from, but Germany and Japan, I guess. All right. Sure, 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 sure. Also, I did love, like, last girl and like it was very apparent through the whole movie even like in that op- like the opening montage documentary kind of thing where last girl always wanted to be her own person like she was a badass through and through and like it just kept kept coming up i mean she she was the one that saved mr incredible like for the most part like yes mirage technically released him when he was captive but she was right there like she broke through the whole facility yeah to find him and then punched out mirage anyway which was kind of fun um but yeah right and then yeah learning the flight language she was a very independent strong character and that was a lot of fun definitely and also just hearing uh voice actor holly hunter play like reading flight dialogue it, it just fits with her voice i mean mm-hmm most people listening probably know who she is. Um, but yeah, just kind of like an iconic Southern charmer voice. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so moving along, this might be my favorite fun fact. Did you know that Bomb Voyage was initially named Bomb Perignon? <laughs> uh, the makers of Dom Perignon unfortunately refused to give legal Aww. rights to the name. But That would have been fun. Bomb I mean, Voyage still pretty good for... Uh, you know, a French, uh, uh, oui, oui. Uh, exactly. A mime that uses bombs. Yes. Yep. Bomb voyage. But on the theme of bomb voyage, he also appears in a later Pixar movie, Ratatouille. Didn't know whether to include this in uh, this episode of Ratatouille, but I figured in case I forget, which I do sometimes, I'd say it here. So, yeah, um, it seems that his days of villainy are over and that he decided to pursue a career as a street mime in Paris. So uh, if we're led to believe that Ratatouille takes place roughly 15 years after his last meeting with Mr. Incredible. um, Yeah, because he looks a little older, a little worse for wear, 
and he's a balding, pot-bellied street performer man. So That's fun. Yeah, stay tuned for more about that. I'm excited to... I haven't watched Ratatouille in a minute, so I'm excited to find him in that, that, that movie. Watch. That movie slaps. I got I got fun facts for for Ratatouille. Maybe we'll let you do the fun well, facts for that one. Well, you know, I like to I like to riff, and that's <laughs> why I do I do the plot. Ratatouille might be one of my favorite Pixar films. Maybe I'll do the plot summary for that one. Ooh. We'll do a little role reversal. We'll, we'll we'll talk about. I'll it. come in dressed like Andrew WK's evil twin, <laughs> and I'll come in dressed as a jabroni. I guess. <sighs> Wow, real original. He's even taking my words. I said what I said. Did you know it was the first Pixar movie comprised only of CG human beings? Um, so actually, the creators of the film used copies of Grey's Anatomy textbooks, um, basically to figure out how to better digitally sculpt uh, the human body and figure out how it would naturally move. Also, they used uh, live action footage of Pixar animators. Uh, just walking so you know okay it was kind of weird to me at first but then i thought about it it's like yeah toy story it's four movies of basically just toys in a human world but the humans definitely take the back seat and this is what the fourth movie fourth pixar movie no we've got toy story toy story two bugs life bugs life nemo inc and nemo so this six yeah okay six six maybe um looks really good this isn't a fun fact so much but i know we kind of talk about how well pixar movies age over the years um this one didn't blow me away i thought Mm -hmm. it was good i thought it captured kind of the era and style that it was it was going for but um i noticed the lighting was really good especially like in interior shots the way um shadows were cast and kind of the way that natural or you know non-natural light hit the uh the the characters was really nice but i felt that some of the textures were a little lacking i felt everyone's face kind of looked a little flat for it being a movie all about humans i felt that there could have been a little more attention to detail in their faces it yeah textures were a little bland um I think the only thing that helped me is that textures were bland throughout the whole movie. Everything just yeah. kind of had this flat look to it. You yeah. Know? Even on the island, like, I mean, you're dealing, I mean, like, I think about how Toy Story 4 looked with their environment. Like, that island, just the island scenes would have taken an eternity to get done. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to watch Incredibles 2 to see, like, that kind of change up. Um, well, but, even like Nemo, where it's like the environment was clearly very important, arguably like the focal point. This movie was released after Finding Nemo, but I felt that the landscapes were not nearly as detailed in Nemo. But also, I think it kind of made me feel like these palm trees on this supervillain's island really don't matter that much. You yeah, know? It's a set piece. It's not a, a character, more or less. Whereas the ocean was arguably a character in Finding Nemo. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's, it's a pretty big difference. Um, and again, yeah, just the amount of effort that it would have put taken to, I mean, you're if you're animating an entire city, uh, we might be able to take some leniencies. Definitely. Uh, moving along. Did you know Incredibles was, er, excuse me. Did you know the Incredibles used four times as many locations as any other Pixar film? 
So it featured 781 visual effects shots at a 121 minute runtime. And uh, yeah, it was the longest Pixar movie to date at this point. Oh, I guess that kind of makes sense. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll accept it. The way it's paced, I think this movie is a pretty quick watch, though. Yeah. Um. So did you know it's the only Pixar movie without the Pizza Planet truck? Or at least maybe. Uh, so Bird was asked why, and I say Bird, director Brad Bird, sorry, uh, was asked why The Incredibles would be the only film in the Pixar uh, universe to not have the studio's iconic Easter egg that started with Toy Story, only to say he didn't ask any animators to animate it. Um, but it's still not official as to whether it's in or out of the film. There's a lot of quick cuts on the highway mm-hmm. with kind of vintage cars, which kind of leads me to believe that that being like a 90s truck, probably not in the 60s, like, but... the A Pizza Planet truck... Exactly. This would have been like a new truck at that point. So it's very possible that it was in there. Well, not even because, I mean, if this movie's taking place like in 1965-70, it's probably Mm -hmm. like a 1990 truck. Okay. So if it was going to be in it, there's a chance it's in it for like a frame or two, but it would stand out if it was featured as like a focal point being that this truck would have come out 30 years after this film Sure. is supposed to take place i guess a futuristic looking truck yeah with a with the pizza planet topper might not fit in yeah, probably not but also if you find it we'd love to know did you know this oh this is a tough one this might be my favorite fun fact uh the characters powers are based on their personalities no uh... don't want to read into it too much but Bob Parr, Mr. Incredible, dude of big stature, very strong, very stoic, speaks with a deep voice. You got Elastigirl, his wife, she's very flexible, you know, she's kind of, you know, always stretching and reaching to accommodate other people's needs, and it's kind of always there, you know. In the film, she acts as like a parachute and, uh, you know, a boat, and she's just kind of this Swiss Army human, which more or less mirrors her real-life personality as a good mom. Um, you got Dash, who's like this young, super hyper kid, you know, fast, always moving a million miles an hour. You've got Violet, who's kind of, I mean, if this movie was set in the early 2000s, I'd say she's a goth girl, but (laughs) it's, you know, she's your angsty teen. She doesn't really want to stand out, just kind of wants to blend in, is kind of bashful. So invisibility kind of fits with her. She kind of is always cloaking herself. Um... And then Frozone, he's kind of the cool, you know, the cool character of the film, easygoing, always super chill, you know. He's Samuel L. Jackson as yep. a superhero, and so like too many, too many snakes on this on this motherfucking plane, you know. <laughs> yes. Damn, Jackie. <laughs> Stop that. I love that. <laughs> so yeah, it was one of those things where you know, don't read into it too much, but. Take it for, for face value. It, it works. Yeah. Um, this is our second to last fun fact. Did you know it was the first Pixar movie rated above G? Ooh. So, got a PG rating for some action. Action, and again, uh, I, I, I kind of wish I would have gone through and counted how many people died. But, like, yeah, it was 
it was upwards of like 15. Like at least 15 people died in this movie. Yeah, at least. I mean, you probably got 15 just in like the the slideshow of all the deceased superheroes and then the montage of the cape malfunctions and syndrome dies and all yep. the people in the office scene. I'm probably saying it's close to like 50 or 100, but it's yeah, dark. It's, it's exactly. dark. This is we're not playing around with that like Nemo, like they kind of played around with the mortality thing. Um but it's fish. Exactly. But once we're animating humans, it's like, oh, actually, a bunch of people died. It's fine. So, yeah, understandable why it got the PG rating. But by no means is this film. It's still a kid's movie. You know? Yeah. But, yeah, I think there's it was no pretty... graphic deaths. No. I mean, unless you count people blowing up as graphic. But there's no, like, body parts or anything. Basically, something blows up and it's like, all right, and next scene. We do get guns, which I think is a first for, for Pixar. Get some actual real life weaponry. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think if you're going to have a suicide attempt, that automatically kind of cancels <laughs> super out the early. Yeah, that's super early. Basically, the start of the movie. Um, so yeah. Um, did you know that Spencer Fox had a run for his money? Pun intended. So Spencer Fox voiced uh, Dash Parr. The incredibly quick, hyperactive son whose superpower is incredible speed. But uh, the actor, Spencer Fox, actually had to uh, run before his recording sessions in order to give him an authentic out-of-breath sound. <laughs> That's pretty good. So, yeah, kind of cool little... Yeah. It seems like there's always a few fun facts about that they sneak into like the recording process. Yeah, like uh, Crush laying down on the... Uh, yeah, laying down on the couch. Yeah. Billy Crystal and John Goodman, as well as Tim Allen and Tom Hanks, kind of recording their their dialogue as a tandem, which is uncommon in the animation world. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of fun stuff there. Exactly, a little little riff and little buddy film. Absolutely. But uh, that takes us to the end of our fun facts. But I'm gonna keep things rolling. Feeling good. It's hot in here. Don't want to be at this for too much longer. Sweating bullets out here. I can see Nate melting right before my eyes. Um, so we're going to take this right into the music of The Incredibles. So The Incredibles is the first Pixar film to be scored by, I'm probably going to butcher this, but Michael Giacchino. Um, so basically Brad Bird was looking for a specific sound as inspired by the film's retro, fu- fu- futuristic. retro futuristic design. There it is again. Mm-hmm. Uh or the future as seen from the 1960s. And he felt that this was the right composer for the job. Um, but uh, Giacchino noted that uh, recording in the late 60s was largely different from modern day recording. And that Dan Wallen, the recording engineer, said that Bird wanted an old feel. Um, and as such, the score was recorded on analog tapes. Um, there was a quote, I don't have it here in front of me, but Giacchino just had a really kind of interesting take on how, you know, Brad Bird wanted a very brass forward sound, lots of horns, and just that that style of sound is really not, um, it's hard to replicate on a digital medium. And so they just felt that, you know, going full old school, really fit the tone, fit the fact that this was a timepiece. And also, this next music fact kind of plays into why. So, uh, Giacchino, I've mispronounced his name so many times, I apologize, dude. 
Um, but Michael Giacchino was uh, not the first choice for the film score. It was actually John Barry, um, who recorded the theme to On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Hey! 007 hey. film. And uh, Bird loved this film. He loved the sound of it. Um, however, what he was looking for was a little too close to On Her Majesty's Secret Service for uh, John Barry's liking. Uh it was said that Barry did not wish to duplicate the sound of some of his earlier soundtracks, and therefore the uh, assignment was instead given to Michael Giacchino, who did the final score. Gary Chino. Gary Chino. <laughs> yes. Yep. But uh, that is all I've got for music facts. Um, not a lot of stuff. Another one that was not scored by Randy Newman or his cousin. And... Uh, <laughs> I think the film's better for that. I think if we would have had some comical, twangy, you've got a friend in me-esque stuff, I just don't think it fits the, the theme. I think this movie's all about being sleek, being sexy, action, espionage, and I think just having that kind of jazzy vibe fits. I think this movie's score is probably... It's going to sound weird because it's a Randy Newman score, but out of everything we've seen, it's probably closest to Monsters, Inc., yeah, yeah, it's it's in that ballpark. Different style of jazz. That's mm-hmm. a little more noodly, improvisational kind of jazz, whereas this is a little more epic, orchestral. Your yeah, your classic yeah, a classic jazz versus like a modern, or a, yeah, a contemporary. Um, yeah, but no, I, I like I don't know. I honestly preferred this soundtrack to the Monsters Inc. I do too. Yeah. I think it's really good. Um, while there's no names attached to the soundtrack, as far as like big name, uh, you know, recording artists that they got on board, I do think it's, uh, might be my favorite. Like if I was just to throw on a soundtrack, granted, you know, I love hearing you've got a friend of me and strange things, but if I was just to throw on instrumentals from a Pixar film, Incredibles or Ratatouille are probably going to be at the top of my list for just good easy listening yep Ratatouille. i'm so excited i can't i can't express enough how excited i am for ratatouille i think we need to do some more derbs for ratatouille more derbs in the studio or derbs in the studio we'll eat them off mic so we don't nope uh, we're eating them on mic. your ears going to eat them on mic. we're eating bruschetta on mic Ooh, gonna be real crunchy real crunchy real crunchy maybe we do a wine night mm, i think that might be I don't, actually Finding, didn't even think about how difficult it might be to find rat-themed beer. Rat or French. Yep. Oh, well, we could just do French saisons all night. We could, or we could drink good wine. I hate wine. I hate it. You ever been hungover on wine? Yeah. Yeah, it's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Being hung over on anything sucks. Yeah, but that sucks worse. Uh, please drink responsibly. This is a 21-plus podcast. Beer is a 21-plus <laughs> beverage. Pixar responsibly. Thank you. And it is a parental yeah, parental guidance-themed uh, podcast. <laughs> Got them. We talk G-rated films and drink 21-plus beverages. We're all over the map, the, ladies. The Pixar Buds gentlemen. presents Suds with Sean Connery. <laughs> a Pixar production you've got a friend in me you've got a friend in sean connery a pixar production suds buds featuring randy newman featuring john newman 
I think we're losing it, man. I have not sweated this much in a very long time. Well, tell you what. Let's take it home. All right. uh, All right. All right. Let's rate this beer. Supergiant is hitting right now. It's good. It's a good beer for the day. You selected two winners. I'm not going to shat on either of these. Uh, Supergiant for me, I'm probably going to give it, I think I'm going to give it a solid 3.9. It was just an easy golden ale. Well done. It's light. It's crisp. It's got a little body. And then it just disappears. And it's great. And I love it for that. So I'm going to go 3-9. Okay. I'm going to put this a little higher. Maybe it's just a, you know, a setting thing, but this is hitting all the notes right now on a kind of hot, stuffy day. Um, and also, maybe not a beer that I would buy just based on the style and, mm-hmm. you know, not to, to, you know, cast shade at all, but it's when you walk into a liquor store and there's a thousand beers on the shelf this necessarily isn't necessarily gonna pop yep but it's definitely a beer you can put in anyone's hand and they're gonna be crazy if they don't enjoy it yep uh so that being said four one from me would drink again shout out to abel for hydrating us on this super hot day bless your hearts um so yeah three nine four one on the golden ale Mm -hmm. which is uh super giant yep from Abel and Brewing. also a five for a golden that's pretty impressive like it it hides it well yeah um very yeah very pleased with this beer I, i've had it several times before but like i said this has been their flagship for as long as i know or one of their flagships is golden ale the same as a blonde ale i'd imagine it's in that same ballpark because i've been doing quite a bit of the lonely blonde and like the heart of glass blonde lately and this is definitely like right on par with those yep i would say all those are like four four twos in my mind so yeah so five five up is that's four four two on the suds bud scale oh okay not the alcohol i feel bad to rate lonely blonde heart of glass or this below a four for me sure personally i get that but it's crushable i like the crushable one i like the crushable so coming in good with the rating i'm gonna crush it now, for this one, we don't really have a, a favorite song other than Let It Ride by Bachman Turner Overdrive, which is what we're <laughs> going to take you out with. BTO, oh, shout out. I was making that decision. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> and, it was uh, up for debate at break, but now I guess it's, yeah, okay, whatever, that's fine. Yeah, it's fine, Eric. I said it's fine. I suppose we can do a villain rating, though. Hell yeah. Syndrome syndrome is like when i say the least favorite i don't mean like he's a bad villain he's just the most obnoxious to me like everything about his character makes me upset sure like he was like overly needy at first and that's what turned him to being evil like i don't think mr incredible did anything wrong like he was just trying to get this kid out of danger's way he knew his job was dangerous that's fair and then he grows up to be a rich, snotty kid uh, with a bunch of toys that he can't control. Gin- a ginger Elon Musk. Yep. <laughs> That's exactly it. Friggin' Teslas. That's what these robots were. Um, and then lost control of them. So, like, definitely my most obnoxious villain, um, which makes it a little tricky because he's not the most 
evil. Well, actually, I would argue that he might be the most evil. Yeah, he's the only villain I think that we've seen that's killing humans. That's true. And kind of doing it like with no remorse. Damn. I hadn't even kind of considered that. Maybe maybe my rating will help you come to a conclusion. Okay. I'm putting him as my number one. Number one. I think Ooh. he's funny. I think he's entertaining. I think he's purely evil. I think he's powerful. I think he's an idiot. I think he possesses all these good bad guy traits. Sure. Someone that's powerful, but you want to see the good guy just punch in the face. And on top of that all, he's voiced by Jason Lee, which... Big fan. My name is Earl was hot at this time so uh yeah it makes sense um he's my number one villain all right um i wasn't gonna go number one lotso there's still something about him where i'm like you're taking your life experiences and twisting them into this very evil purpose yes um and while syndrome's doing that it's not I don't know. Syndrome's doing it for vanity. Mm, yeah. And so that kind of makes him a little less evil. Like, does it though? I don't know. Like, Lotso, Lotso's doing it to like protect himself. Like, he does what he does because he's been hurt and now he wants to screw over everybody. Whereas Syndrome, he's just a vain little kid that is good at inventions. Sure. So I think he's gonna go in the number two slot. Okay. Lotso's still still riding top. This is probably the closest one to taking that first spot, but I think number two is gonna be my spot. Well, there you go. Syndrome one for me, two for Nate. I think uh, for me, he definitely kind of solidified his number one spot by the fact that he was introduced to us early in the film. And we kind of got to see his full transformation over 15 years. The origin story. We don't really know what happened within those 15 years with him. But Lotso we didn't really get to see as a good guy. Other than in that brief little montage flashback. Whereas like this movie starts out with Syndrome as Buddy. He's a minor. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? He's a he's a kid. He's a punk kid. Yeah, he's just a punk kid. He can't be a villain at that point. He's just yep. an annoying kid. Bratty kid. Um, So... I think his transformation was... If you think children can't be villains, you haven't met enough children. (laughs) I stand by that. I'm not sure where to go from there. (laughs) What do you say we go to the overall film rating? Uh, Overall film rating, this one's going to come in at my number two spot. Um, Yeah, again, and I might just be holding Toy Story for the nostalgia, but this movie is really good. Um, beats out Toy Story 4 in that like it's just it's fun, it moves quickly, and it's a standalone. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go number two on this guy. Number two, I'm gonna be right up there with you. Um, I think we just went a little opposite on the film rating and uh, villain rating, but I'm gonna put it in my number one spot. Ooh. So I think we've done close to 10 episodes of this show now. Um, And yeah, you heard it here. Incredibles, my number one favorite film in the Pixar world at this point. Just edging out the first Toy Story. Reason being, um, this movie is funny. I love the story. I love superheroes growing up. Um, Grew up on like old classic Marvel and classic comics. My dad was a comic collector. 
So it kind of all came full circle. This was a movie I saw in the theaters when I was like 11. Loved it then. Loved that my parents also loved it. You know, got it on DVD, watched it a bunch at home. And now looking back as an adult, it still holds up, if not has gotten better. Um, so all those reasons combined, I can say with full confidence that Incredibles is the Pixar film that I have enjoyed the most up to this point. Well, that was, uh, that's some pretty heavy accolades there. Yeah. I dig it. All right. All right. I'll accept it. I'll, accept, I'll accept your opinion for your ranking. You know, as much uh, shit as we talk to each other on this show, our, our taste towards Pixar has been remarkably similar. Yep. And I want people to know, like, Nate and I work together, but uh, our main, like, hangout day outside of work is Tuesdays, you know? We're both doing our prep before the show, but our prep is done on our own time. So when we meet up on a Tuesday to record, it's not like we're chopping up the podcast before we're getting on air. Matter of fact, today we played a game of NBA Jam. I drank some tea and we came out and I'm like, you want to hit record? He's like, yeah, let's hit record. And we just kind of dove into it. So I think it's very funny that our tastes match as much as they do with us just kind of going into this. The only thing I don't accept is your low rating of Bugs Life. It's the only thing I don't accept. It's a great movie. Watch it again, man. I've watched it like six times. And then put it toe-to-toe with all the other ones we've watched. If you're trying to tell me that Bugs Life is a more impressive (sighs) film than Toy Story 1, 4, or The Incredibles. I mean, you didn't even rate it higher than those ones. No, I didn't rate it higher than those ones, but you put that real low early on. I did. Yeah. And I stand by and it. I don't respect you. The for animation that. is primitive. It lacks uh, iconic voice actors, which I believe that if you got Pixar money, you got to get at least one. Um, I think the story's kind of meh. I think you're kind of meh. I don't, I don't <laughs> hate it. I like Flick as a character, but uh, I don't know, man. If that's the hill you want to die on, the anthill I want to die on. Got him. Friggin' got him. Got and him on that, uh, that's, that's that's all for today. <laughs> we, we've talked Incredibles. It's been fun. Um, shout out to Abel. Shout out to Boom Island. Uh, shout out to producer of the show, Salsa Dave. Uh, shout out to uh, Sean Connery. It's good to have you, you. You Zoom us and give us a little audio snippet to introduce the show. Shout out to Sean Connery's shaman that summoned him from the dead for us. That was very nice of you to do. Yeah. Uh, he, he's had nothing but nice things to say about this podcast. Refers to it as uh, his favorite program that's not on the BBC. And with that, uh, I, I thank you, Mr. Connery. Uh, we'll be back next time as we talk all things incredible numero dos. So, yeah. You know, as always... Feel free to revisit our old episodes. There's some fun stuff in there. Uh, check us out on Instagram, SudsBudsPod. Or feel free to shoot us an email. That's uh, SudsBudsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to read any of your questions on the air. Or any of your Tom Hanks dirt. Yeah, or any of your uh, your hate mail directed at <laughs> Nate. I'd love to read that. That could be our fun facts for next I'll hang week. it up on my wall. Yeah, we'll frame it. Yep. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, you have yourselves a wonderful Thursday, and we will catch you next time on Suds Buds.